Well, as a world-renowned composer and musician, most of you may actually recognize the face before you recognize his music. As co-host on Entertainment Tonight for 10 years, John Tesh became one of the most recognized personalities in television. But he left it all behind to further his music career. John Tesh joins us today from Los Angeles, where he lives with his wife, actress Connie Selica. And is your daughter, Prima, is she 10 years old still, or is she 11 just, now? Uh, just 11 last week, yeah. Wow, congratulations, 11 yeah. years old. We've celebrated it like four times already, so thank you. <laughs> yeah, when they get to that age, it's uh, it's more than just once, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, John, your uh, your son, Gib, uh, is he living at home these days, or is he off to college? He is, because that's the rule now. The 23-year-old comes home and lives with you. Actually, I, I need that because there's two girls, two Italian girls in my house, my wife and my, and my daughter, so it just... I need something to equal that out. You got to balance that whole thing out. Don't yes. You? <laughs> You're uh, living in the in the L.A. area. Where exactly in L.A. are you living? We we live right in the Sherman Oaks area, which is it's very very funny that we'd be here because I mean the only reason I'm here is because of uh, Entertainment Tonight drew me out here, and and my wife is an actress, and so she came out here for that. But she's from the Bronx, and I'm from Long Island, New York. So we're we're not we're still not we've been here, gosh, since 1986. I have, and still not used to it. You know, everybody lives in their cars here. And yeah. I mean, and I mean, lives in their cars. I mean, you're talking couches and lamps and you know everything. <laughs> That's lovely. Uh, ten years on uh, Entertainment Tonight. Uh, the, the quotes that I've read says surprisingly left. What, was it really a surprise to your coworkers? It definitely was not a surprise to my coworkers. But but I think when you say, hey, listen, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a ballet dancer, and you're you know you're 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 shoveling coal, and people are like, oh uh, yeah, sure you are, okay. And when is that coming? But, uh, you know, it's, music has always been the deepest desire of my heart, and that's really what I preach all the time, is, is to find that, that place in your life. And so it wasn't a surprise to people who really know me. In, in America, it's a surprise when somebody leaves uh, a seven-figure job to do something that might not make them any money, because here it's all about the money. And uh, so that was a surprise, and that's why all of the... Talk show hosts and all those guys who were, you know, were always making fun, and radio hosts were, were and yeah, too, making fun of me and, and, and cracking jokes. But it's really, it's, it's that thing, right? It's that sort of unspoken thing. They were all like, you know what? I really, you wake up at two o'clock in the morning and you're going, why am I doing this job? Why am I in this? Is this the life God planned for me? And a lot of times the answer is no. And I've just sort of got that blind faith, fear factor thing happening where I don't mind changing careers and. And I think it's because that's the way my dad was. Yeah, if I understand the story right, your dad was making underwear and then decided to make furniture. That is the best one-sentence description. I'm using that from now on because usually <laughs> it usually takes me much longer. That's exactly what happened. He was working for Haynes, and he was an artisan and wanted to be an artisan, so he came to us. See, it's a much longer story already. He came to us and said, uh, hey, I want to be a full-time uh, carpenter. We're like, we're all going to starve. And uh, we didn't, and he ended up doing what he wanted to do. <laughs> So that was definitely inspirational. Yeah, it was. And I'll tell you something else. You hear, you hear this all the time. It's like, you know, go go where where God wants you to go. You know, and, and when you pray about this and you figure it out, and and the, and the money, the the spiritual wealth, and and actually the earthly wealth will come eventually. And I always I always remember my my pastor saying that. You know, you're going to be fine if you go where 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 if you find out where God wants you. And you serve there, and you do what's the deepest desire. It will happen. And I'm always like, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you can't do that. You have to believe. Yeah. And sure enough, and, and, I, and seriously, I'm like the Walter Mitty of of the media. I have I have done ridiculous things that with a, with very average intelligence that never should have worked. 
Yes. Yeah. I mean, so I wasn't agreeing with you. I was just, you know. Yes, you were. I was just saying, yes. Uh, okay, well, you've been dropping the whole spiritual stuff already, and so let's jump into it. When did the whole uh, Jesus stuff start with you? <laughs> Another one of those great questions. Um, I, you know, it's, I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. I grew up, I was born into the Methodist Church, and I had two uncles who were Baptist preachers. And uh, so I was I was churched up. I mean, I had everything all memorized. I went to church camp every summer. And when I got to college, I realized that I knew how to say the Lord's Prayer, but I didn't really know what it meant. And I had no relationship, no spiritual relationship at all. It was just I was just doing what I was told. And, I, and again, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Sure. So it was the Canacook experience. First, first it was meeting my wife uh, in 1992. 1991, actually. Was, it, was that when she dragged you kicking and screaming to church? Yeah, well, you know, when Connie Selleck extends her hand, you don't really kick and scream. You go, where, you know, where, you, you go um, okay, uh, where are we going? We're going to church? All right, I can probably survive that if I get to look at you for two hours, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's really, you know, and I, I, I mentioned that on stage, that, you know, that's, that's a great role for, for women, where, you know, women make most of the decisions on on the spiritual, I mean, to start the spiritual life in churches anyway for men. Yeah, so yeah. Um, that's what she did. When she said, "Hey, we've been going out for three months, and uh, I'd like for you to meet uh, meet uh, my pastor." And I'm like, uh, "We know what? I've already done that." And she says, "No, I'd really like for you to come." Okay. And and so it was my first experience in a church, very tiny church, where nobody was yelling at me, <laughs> and they were teaching me. And so I really, I, I mean, I had been thirsty for years and then one thing led to another and i ended up at promise keepers where of course you know people um wives send their husbands who have been bad who have the potential for being bad yes and uh then that led to canacuck and and it was just i was pretty much done so I, that i mean you, you know people always talk about that born again experience of bang the light bulb going off when you're when you're stubborn as i am it doesn't happen that way it's a it's it is a process and and the process if, if, if there was an aha, if there was a born again moment, it was definitely sitting in Promise Keepers having Tony Evans shout out. Yeah, that can, that tends to be uh, an aha experience, doesn't it? it? It does, and and what and what he said that really spoke to me was that uh, it's not okay to be a closet Christian. That's what he was. He was accusing eighty thousand of us of being in Hollywood of being closet Christians, and it was and, and encouraging us to go public for God. Well, that's something that, uh, as far as closet Christians go, the people that I've spoken to in Hollywood or in the in the film and television industry or in the music industry who are genuine followers of Christ, a lot of them seem to not want to let people know that they're followers of Christ. Not They don't want to let the, uh, the, uh, the uh, Christians know that. They don't mind letting the secular world know that or their friends, but they, it's almost like they don't want to let the Christians know because of fear of the, the Christians kind of, you know, sinking their sinking their hooks into them, and uh, I don't know. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying. My experience has been a little bit different in that I have I have found um, some Christians, and I'm of course secular people too. But uh, the dangerous, the most dangerous thing in the secular world is uh, is is people who live by their mouth and 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 uh, and deny Christ by their actions. And and um, a lot of times you'll run into, you know, quote, Christians who are very judgmental of people who are not. And that's what happened in, in Hollywood. The, the, uh, the rub on Christians is that, is that it's, a, it's a club. And it's a, it's a closed club. And yeah. it's an elite club. And um, that's very, very dangerous. And one of, the, one of the encouragements that I've gotten from my wife over the years is when we perform our concerts, 
and it's you know it's it's half and half um, secular and Christian because that we don't do it in churches. We try to stay out of the church. I mean, most of the time, it's, uh, it's in performing arts centers or even casinos, mm-hmm. and um, that's what our 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 ministry is. Yeah, well, it, to me, it's it's just no wonder that there are many closeted Christians in Hollywood for fear of the the Christian putting their own uh, dogmatic, legalistic, theological, doctrinal magnifying glass on them. You know, it's like the, it's like the Bob Dylan theory. Bob comes out and says he's a Christian. <laughs> what do all the Christians do? They cross their arms and go, "Okay, we'll we'll see." Yeah, I mean, and, and I I actually had that experience with uh, with with radio too, um, and and even with. Um, with with stores when you're, you're putting out a worship and praise record, I, and I you know, I think when it comes to that stuff, I, I think you got to it's it's a real interesting puzzle because you, you know you count on let's say family Christian stores or the radio station, you count on them to protect you above all things, guard your heart, you know, and um, so you don't you, you, you want to look out for the next antichrist, but. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I hear what you're saying because then you get into that. You know, if somebody's like, "I'm saved. Here's my music. Here's my testimony," uh, and you want to say, "Okay, show me not only by your words, but by uh, by your faith, but also by your, you know, by your works." I understand that you know you you get to go. You're, you know, God has saved you. It's wonderful. But let's see if you've been saved for service. And 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 it is a, it's it's an interesting puzzle, especially here in Hollywood. So, how would you summarize the the reason you finally surrendered? Your life to Christ, because I had tried everything else, and I'm sorry that, and I hate to be honest that way, because I know that that's not a great ministry to some people. But um, it's a, it's a, my biggest lament is that I wasted so much time. Now, you know, my pastor will put his arms around me and say, you know what, though, what you've been through and what you've done has really prepared you to have a great platform to to share your faith. Sure, but. I just when I see my son at 23, who is just such a spiritual warrior, I'm like, what, how, what, what happened to me? You know, um, because I, I mean, I really did. I mean, I was I was living the life in New York, and and uh, you know, you know that scripture is you know, where does a prophet a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I had gained the whole world at 23. I was making a fortune, anchoring the news in New York City, and going to Studio 54, you know, every night, and everybody knew who I was, and I was you know, dating supermodels, and, and um, it was, uh, my life was a mess inside, hmm. and and it, it didn't get any better when I, when I ended up at the Olympic Games and, and you know, announcing that and, and working for CBS Sports and working for Entertainment Tonight. I, you know, that's the thing is that you, you, become, you become blind. You don't understand that everybody else isn't, isn't thinking this way. So to answer your question, I, I know the difference because I've lived the difference, and some people just have to do that. Did you did you uh, sort of go into the the pluralistic side of spirituality before landing on Christ? The sort of uh, the the shopping cart of religion, where you go down the aisle of, of world religions and oh. pick and pick and choose a little bit of what you like uh, before you finally said, you know what, I need to land on Jesus. I actually didn't. Um, I you know, and I had an opportunity to embrace Scientology and also Buddhism because my my sister is uh, is a Buddhist. Okay. Um, and I have many friends still who are in the in the music business and in the uh, in the entertainment business who are who are Scientologists. Um, but I, I think that it would, that my basis I, I I can't ever remember a night even even if I wasn't going to church I can never remember a night when I wasn't praying, you know, and connecting to God and and uh, and I know that's not enough. I know that you really need to fellowship with other Christians. I wasn't doing that. 
Um, but I, so I, I guess you'd have to say that I was in neutral. But I was really I was approached seriously by by many different religions. And it's a, it's a, no one's ever asked me that question, but but certainly in the entertainment world you, that would happen to you. But they never made any sense to me. You know, the resurrection was was always something that made sense to me. Did it make sense just because you, that's what you grew up with? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I truly, I, I think, you know, out of, out of Romans, I, uh, through it, through it all, you know, I, I always confessed with my mouth and believed in my heart, um, mm. you know, that Jesus was, uh, you know, is, is Lord and was raised from the dead. I, I always believed that. I just wasn't, I hadn't taken the next step of, of connecting regularly to scripture and, and, uh, and and truly uh, and, and and I knew how to I knew how to ask for forgiveness and I knew how to how to repent although I was in a I was in a closed circle of uh, of, of of sin so um, I I think that, that that background was strong enough that I was that I was being protected. John, why do you still follow him? That's a question I ask myself regularly, and I ask a lot of my guests too because I, I guess I'm afraid of numbingly. Uh, just sort of walking along in this spiritual fog. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. Yes, I'm a follower. I, I want to know why I'm still following him. It's a good question. Um, I think I think you get to a point in your life where you you could um, you could legalize the whole thing, and I could give you you know a bunch of scriptures as to why. But that doesn't work. That doesn't work wonders in Hollywood. It's it, it's that I truly am convicted that I have that I I have seen the difference. Between what it's like to live the life and what it's like not to live the life, and I and I choose I choose not to. I mean, I'm you know I'm I'm sitting here in in my car watching all these you know I'm, I'm parked and I'm watching all these cars go by and I'm thinking, how many does that person know Christ? Does that person know know Christ? And and I, I think part of this is that is that um, when you get you get to a certain point where you've you've experienced God's grace so many times, and I'm 52 years old that. You actually you've been shown the way, you know, and and it's it's hard at first because you're 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 believing in the in not what is seen but what is what is unseen, um, but when when things happen in your life and they have in mind certainly um, where you you actually have seen God's work in your life, then you become convicted. The one thing I have to point out is that you know I I have an iPod here in front of me filled with. Three books from John Eldridge and and uh, and books from uh, Bruce Wilkinson and also Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life and I have found that if I guard my heart if I turn the radio off for example and don't listen to morning radio and just listen to what Eldridge has to say about spiritual warfare listen to what Rick Warren has to say about encouragement and listen to uh, what Wilkinson has to say about the secrets of the vine that my whole day is completely different. If I if I forget to do that or I get distracted, I have a completely different day. So I, I have learned the hard way what living in the world word and living in the world can do for you. We are on the phone with John Tesh and uh John uh, I think for some reason the pedestaled Hollywood profile that you have leads people to ask you these kind of questions. Uh who has had the greatest influence on your life? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really a board of directors for me, but I'd, I'd have to say first and foremost is, um, is my wife because she does, she has no problem walking up to somebody and saying, Hey, um, I need to tell you about something. I need to tell you about my, my testimony about, about what's happened in my life. And people are like, what? Who are you? Oh my gosh, you're that actress. And that's really what happened to me was, you know, we fell in love and then and and then she took my hand like i said and 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 really helped me take the next step um the the second person would have to be a guy named joe white uh who is well um 
Louis Lapidus, who is my is my pastor, certainly, but also Joe White, who is the president of Canuckuck Camps. And this is a guy who mentored my both my kids and has mentored me. And and he, beyond anybody I've ever known, truly lives the life of a of a spiritual warrior. And I'm not talking about the guy who sits in the in the 50th pew back there and just sort of shows up, you know, in church and is like, I'm going to be a good man. I'm going to be a good man. This is a guy who practices spiritual warfare, and I and I, and I love that. And I and I believe that that that's hopefully that's a new trend among Christians. So you're reading a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Eldridge and uh, Rick Warren. Uh, who's the other one you said again? Uh, Bruce Wilkinson. Bruce Wilkinson. Uh, and and uh, spiritual disciplines for you. I mean, your assistant is it Christina? Is that her name? Yes. Yeah. She, she she told me that you're up at some you know some one of those spiritual Tony Campolo early in the morning, three hours on your knees praying kind of hour. <laughs> no, she's being nice. I don't. I, def- I definitely don't put in that kind of time, unfortunately, but. Um, I, I try, you know, there's a great book, and it's written by, it was written, gosh, uh, you know, centuries ago by a man named Brother Lawrence, and it's, uh, it was written originally in French. He was a French monk, um, and he wrote a thing called Practicing the Presence of God. Hmm. And the, uh, do you know that book? I have heard of it many times. I've not read it. It's a great, great, it's a little tiny book. And, and, and oh, I like tiny books. Both Warren and Eldridge, both were, uh, were, you know, have have referenced it. So I got the thing, and all it's about is about connecting with God all day, and it's, and it's brilliant. So I don't I don't carve out that time. Yeah. What I try to do in everything I do is find a way to have a conversation with God. So this morning I was jumping rope at five thirty, and and the cadence of the rope was me going through the scriptures that I know in my in in, in my head, praying and be, being in prayer. And then when I'm driving, a lot of times I'll turn off the Turn off the uh, you know the radio um, or the iPod and do it that way. And then we have a men's group at, uh, at uh, in our office. There's four of us, and and we do the spiritual warfare thing. It's, I mean, we we act, we actually verbally attack Satan and his and his uh, and his fold and and any foul spirits that, that would you know be a part of our. Uh, we ask for the power of the cross in our in, in our lives. Do you think Satan is up at five thirty? Satan is definitely up at five thirty. Okay. Trying to get me to not wake up. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, now the Messianic Church? Okay, I got to be honest. Every person I've met who's been the, into the Messianic stuff, mm-hmm. uh, they've been a little extreme. Maybe it's just yeah. the, just the people I've I've run into. Are, are you are you you know are you a whack job too or what? Yeah, this is a um, uh, yes, but not for that reason. <laughs> um, th- this is a, a different deal. It's um, I'm a Gentile, obviously, and. So is my wife, but she ended up finding this church by accident. It's a Jewish church, which for people who don't understand, some Messianic churches too are. Yeah, there are. They're they're pretty. They can be charismatic, but this is basically um, a home for Gentiles to worship Jesus, and uh, and and a home for Jews who who have accepted Jesus as a savior. So it is a great Jewish flavor to the church. But uh, it's not like most Messianic churches where the, the, the music is very much influenced by contemporary Christian music. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a real heart for the Jewish believer there. And, you know, Jewish believers go through a lot because many of them, when they, when they, uh, you know, when they drop everything to follow Christ, have left their families as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I would imagine that the music in the church would be uh, fairly decent. I hear they've got a, an okay worship leader. Yeah, I you know I was I was worship leader there for about five years and uh, and I I love that and I and I I've 
I tore the place apart. It was sort of one of those things where, well, I've got a guitar, let me play. And we changed that to let's make this as world-class as our pastor is a speaker, and he is a world-class speaker. All right. Um, so, so I really tore it up and put in some, you know, a great sound system, and we had people audition and come in. And so members of the church who were really talented – and and I left for for quite a while, and then I did what I've wanted to do for years was I took myself out of that position, and we we because it is a it is a job. I mean, we trained somebody named Judy, and and she's she's now the worship leader, and I play I, what, what I, I do what I love, which is I am in the back of the back of the room playing keyboards, you know, and uh, it's great fun for me because I to be honest, I was having a real hard time doing what I was supposed to be doing, which was worshiping. I was I was more like, what's the tempo, what's the this, yeah, what's yeah. the chord changes, and, and, and I hated it. I really did not like what, what was going on. John, what's what's your take on the worship phenomena that's kind of happening these days? It seems like everybody and their mother is putting out a worship CD. Why not, huh? I mean, I, 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 I encourage all those guys. I mean, I can't wait for Bono to put out one. I mean, the last song on the, on on uh, uh, on YouTube's record is, is Yahweh. And uh, and we, uh, we, we like, I think we, knew, we seriously know what his beliefs are. Yeah. But uh, I think it's great. I think it's I think it's awesome. And I, and I and I I challenge Christians not to not to judge this stuff. I mean, anytime you can have a, a there's a guy named uh, Bob uh, Briner who wrote a book called Roaring Lambs. I read way too much, and uh, or I listen way too much. And he, he uh, in his book, he, he takes issue with bellyaching Christians who run around criticizing all the stuff that's on television, on the radio, and, and in books. And he says. Don't don't ask yourself, you know, how bad this stuff is. Go and spend some time creating something to replace it. So I encourage people to anytime you can replace a pop song with, you know, with uh with I, I can only imagine, you know, go for it. Sure. You know, I I read the lyrics to uh, Sting's latest CD, uh, Sacred Love, and uh-huh. uh man, that's pretty interesting. I I'd love to know where he's going these days spiritually. Well, and 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 listen to that song. Um, one of my favorites on that album. Listen to that song. Uh, whenever I call your name, I'm already praying. Oh yeah, hello. Yeah, that's a that is an incredible gospel song. And I'm sorry, but you know, um, I think that the fish stations and all the Christian stations they should grab that song and put it on the air. But no, like, are well, you? Not, you know, are you kidding? There are so. Let's, don't even get me started about the right. uh, the anality of Christian st- Christian stations. And there right. you go. See, now I'm poo-pooing what your guy that you read in the book said I shouldn't poo-poo. Well, it's you know, yeah. I mean, it, there's going to be a fair amount of belly aching before we before we get busy and start creating other stuff. So you got to you got to get you're on fire, and so your next step is to do what you're doing. You know, yeah. uh, interview people, connect connect your audience to people who can uh, hopefully make a difference. Connecting my audience with John Tesh, uh, the rock, the Red Rock concerts. Uh, pretty amazing. Uh, the story behind that first one in the rain, uh, that was, that was a pretty cool story. It's funny how the, uh, the people loved the rain part more than the sophisticated everything else part. Well, and that's a classic example of, you know, for people who don't know what we're talking about, I, you know, I, my wife and I took a mortgage on our house and, uh, a second mortgage on our house to put together this thing, this PBS special. We didn't know it with a 80 piece symphony orchestra at Red Rocks and, uh, and we didn't know what was going to happen. PBS hadn't committed to it yet, and I was really trying to announce to the world that this is where my heart was, was with music, and I figured this would be the way to do it. So after two songs, it started pouring rain, and the orchestra left. So I'm left there with my five, six-piece band, and, we're, and I'm going, what, you know, what should we do? And the violin player says, let's play in the rain. I said, well, that won't work. And so <laughs> we started playing in the rain, and yeah, like you said, that became the most popular part of it. And to this day... 
Tony Evans is the guy who told me, you know, uh, after I hooked up with him, he said, you know what, that's you backing into a blessing. You've got to be careful because you're going to have your steps ordered, and God's going to have you backing into a blessing. And that's what what really it was about was was me being challenged and say, how are you going to deal with this? What's uh, do you? I don't know whether you shirk the comparison with uh, Yanni all the time. That whether that makes you cringe or proud or you're a positive guy or I don't know whether you can speak truthfully about this or not. But what's the difference between you and Yanni? Well, not you and Yanni, but your music and Yanni's music. I've been inspired by Yanni's music. I mean, I mean, my I, I, Yanni and I are friends, and I went out on tour with him for a while. Um, you know, we're we're very similar people when it comes to you know being hard headed, um, passionate. But he's a very passionate person. And so it was, it was a little difficult, you know, the two of us trying to, to agree on how a song was going to be played. But that, that's just, you know, that just happens. Um, but uh, a lot of his music, there's, a, there's an original album of his, his original album called Keys to Imagination, which one of, I think is one of, even including Vangelis, is one of the best all-time synthesized orchestral albums ever recorded. And um, he, he's, a, he's a Catholic boy. And, and I, I know his parents, and, and um, I think what happens is when you play a piano and you use an orchestra, that you know you're like, oh my gosh, you're in competition. So that's you know that's been done. Um, but I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan, and I'm, and I'm not doing the Hollywood thing, but uh, I, I am a huge fan, and there is, there, I have definitely borrowed ideas from him. Do you do you play more than just the piano, John? Yeah, I, I play trumpet as well. I mean, I did. I, I probably studied trumpet for more years than I did piano when I was a kid because I. I played in the orchestra for many years, um, and I, but, but which, which, by the way, I, I do recommend to um, to parents to, to get their kids not just to practice, you know, guitar by themselves, but to get in an orchestra and interact with other. It's there. It is. It's fellowship again. Sure. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't have much use for it except for to wake my family up every now and then. <laughs> What's and now? What, can you sing? What's your singing like? Um, I think my singing is getting better. You know, I've been, I, I sang in the choir for many, many years, but I became the piano guy, and so people were like, you know, like, well, he's not, he's not a singer. I mean, I, on the Red Rocks thing, I'm singing all over it, and I, I have found the real, it, it seemed just sort of odd to record a worship special and not be singing, you know, just to be playing for everybody else. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a big, um, I'm a big believer in, in, in training. So, um, not only do I train my body, but I train my voice and, train my mind and all that and, and try to get the best people around me to do that but I, I have also found that if if I um, it, it, in order to be a great in order for me to be a great singer if I have like two people singing with me you know and then I sound a whole lot better yeah oh yeah well you know the old chemistry and physics things didn't didn't uh, didn't pay off but I guess uh, that's a good thing you no, know, no, actually it does because I can, I can, I can tell you when the barometric pressure is changing. I can tell you what you know what that is, and and um, yeah, you're obviously re- re- referring to me studying chemistry and physics in college, right? Yeah, you just what did you just get, you just weren't wired that way, or just bored to death of it? I did what my parents uh, wanted me to do, and, and here's here's one of those things that's always playing in my head that hopefully will be an inspiration to people who are listening. It's uh, and I got this out of an Eldridge book. It's from a, a gentleman named Frederick Beekner and. Uh, or Buchner, and he he uh, was fond of saying, you know, when you're when you're trying to figure out what your purpose is in life, and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, don't ask yourself what the world needs from you. Ask yourself what it is that makes you come fully alive, and then go do that, because what the world needs is people who are fully alive, and that you know, there's so many things that hold us back from making that a reality. I mean, fear is number one, of course. How far along in the Entertainment Tonight shtick did you become a Christian? Um, last two years. Did you take any heat for uh, 
for 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 deciding to follow Christ while you're doing ET? Um, it wasn't a. Um, it, it wasn't. It's not. It's not something that that thing spins so fast. You know that life. That it's not like you ever really sit down with anybody and say, "Hey, listen. Oh, you're a Christian now." People did start to see a change. There were things I wouldn't say on the air. There were stories I would not be a part of. There were arguments that I started to have, and um, or discussions. And you really that that's when I under I, I understood how uh, how how uh, scary that was. How uh, how challenging it was to actually have you know those conversations. It's not as easy as well. I like, I believe in Jesus now, so I can't read this. You have to be smarter than that. Do you think Connie would have married you if you hadn't have surrendered your life to Christ, or would she would she have just dropped you? She dropped a guy before me. Yeah. Why? Because because he didn't buy into the Jesus stuff. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I mean, it's it's called unequally yoked, um, and it was um, it was. You know, she was counseled by our by our pastor, and and I mean, when you you eventually get to the point where you're talking about how our kids are going to be raised, and um, so I'm not I'm not going to say that she dropped him, but uh, it became the 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 conversations when they started to get serious, uh, where there was no future. You definitely surrendered your life to Christ before you got married. In other words, that was a criteria for moving on the relationship. Yeah. Also, you have to remember my background was as a Christian. You know, my 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 parents. Uh, uh, birthed me into this, as I mentioned, birthed me into this Methodist church, and I was, I was raised that way. Um, the, you know, the other gentleman that she was going out with was, was uh, it was the son of a Holocaust survivor, and um, that would have, uh, uh, you know, any, any sort of conversion there was um, was not uh, was not going to happen. It, it appeared like it wasn't going to happen. Hmm. What's it, you know, by the by the way, they're still friends to this day, and and we we even go out with uh, with with he and his wife. So really? it was it was an intellectual discussion. Yeah, yeah. Your wife sounds very assertive. She sounds like an alpha female. Is there something above alpha that we can talk about? Because that's, uh, that's she's she's an Italian girl, and she's uh, she's she's crazy. I mean, she's she's literally. Um, you know, Connie always puts family first, and and she's passionate about that, and she demands that, and she demands a certain amount of excellence from all of us, and she does it with love. But I, I think if more, I think if more women women live, because you know she could coast easily. She's a beautiful, talented woman, but um, she's she's tough. She 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 demands our time. She you know we sign contracts with each other about how we're going to behave. And, um, whoa, 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 Explain that one. Well, no, we, we, we signed a, we signed a contract together about, about how, um, how we were going to raise our, and, and we didn't, it's not like we went through lawyers or anything, but it's a, it's a marriage contract about, you know, if, if I have a problem with her, she has a problem with me, we have to call a family meeting, we have to give each other, uh, their ground rules, we have to give each other, you know, enough time to talk to each other. And it's really funny when you, when you actually lay out the rules like that, uh, and, and it's not like you're going to go to jail if you miss it. And nobody knows about this but the two of us, you know. But there are there are guidelines as to what, and, and I'm not going to give you all of them because uh, some of them are pretty personal. But um, but we sign those contracts with our kids too, so they know and they sign and they come up with consequences. You know, if you don't do your chores, if you mouth off to mom or dad, or if something happens, or with Gib, if you were if you know, if you were ever to. Um, you know, to to miss your curfew, or if you ever to 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 drink, you know, and uh, and any of this stuff, or to use drugs, these are the consequences. And the kids come up with the consequences. I think too many times with couples, and also with 
with children, they don't know where the line is. So yeah. the parents are sort of making it up, and, and, and this is the influence that Connie has, and, and, I, and, I, and I love it. Is, uh, is Gib from your first marriage? No, Gib is from Connie's first marriage. Gib is my stepson. Okay. Uh, and he's, he's, uh, he's really my closest friend. I mean, he's, he, he made it easy on me. Uh, your first marriage lasted how long? Six years, and it was just, we were just, we just shouldn't have gotten married. It was, um, it was one of those things where my father had just died. I was very fragile. Um, we were going out, and Julie and I were going out, and, and um, she got fed up with me and moved to Germany, and I asked her to marry me over the phone, and I never should have asked. She never should have said yes, and I was just a total jerk. I mean, I, I, I literally single-handedly ruined that marriage. And uh, and I paid for it. It was uh, it was it was an ugly, ugly time. And um, and she paid for it. She paid for my actions as well. So are you still in touch just, with Julie? No, no. I, I mean, I I think I think if I were to uh, to, con- to contact her, I think it would cause her pain. Because um, you were such a jerk. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think you you could you could yeah. I think that I think that's being I think that's being gentle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so what did you learn from your first marriage that helped you uh, get it right the second time? Because, I mean, Hollywood marriages aren't known to last too long, and yours has lasted well, how many years now? Uh, Thirteen and a half. Yeah. Right. So that's that's like a world record in the industry you're in. Yeah, it's like the dog years thing. You get to multiply it by seven, I think. <laughs> yeah. So what did you learn from the first marriage? Just don't be a jerk. Uh, you can't do it by yourself. Um, Julie was uh, was an atheist, and I was a uh, I was a um, you know, a, a non-practicing Christian. We had no, we had, I, I had, I had no, I had no accountability at all. If you don't have accountability in your life to your pastor, to a counselor, to your friends, to your board of directors, you will fail. And um, and that's, I had no accountability. So I was just basically, if I felt one way, I'd do something. If I felt another way, yeah. I'd do something else. And if I was mad at Julie, I wouldn't talk to her. Or, I mean, it was just, it's, it was the absolute, I didn't have the tools, because I don't think my parents communicated well. This is great therapy, by the way. Is it going to be over soon? Yeah. I, um, I, uh, uh, I didn't have the tools, because when my parents fought, they just, my dad went out and watered the yard, and we had one of the nicest yards in the, in the, in the community because of that. Uh, it was the Cold War. They didn't talk to each other. Right. So um, I, I, I didn't I didn't really have the tools, and if you don't have the tools, you need to go get them. Otherwise, you're going to ruin somebody's life. How old, you, how old were you when your dad died, John? I was thirty. Yeah, and he how was did, young. He was he was really young. He was sixty three. And how did he die? Cancer. Everybody in my family's dying of cancer because they all smoked. Wow. Yeah. That's uh that's a that's a tough tough go. Is it is there something left over from his from your loss of of him that? You've taken into this relationship with with your son. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I probably have learned more from people like Joe White than I have from from my dad. My dad, you know, he did a he, he did he did a fine job, you know, but um, and he showed, you know, he was at you know the Boy Scouts and stuff and all the rest of that. And but I don't I don't really ever remember too much leisure time with him, and that's one of the things that that Joe always preaches is that you know. As a parent, many times, especially with teenagers, you just need to be present. And uh, I, I, he was he was present, but I, I didn't I, I didn't feel like I got good tools from him. And you can get those from someplace else, but yeah. it just it just means you have to catch up. Tell me uh, tell me about uh, how James two seventeen met you face to face in Sri Lanka. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 faithful out 
faith without action is dead. And uh, it's I never really understood that. I, I first of all, a lot of people think that you know if you if you do really good things, you're going to get into heaven, and that's not what the scriptures say, of course. But um, as Rick Warren tells us, you know you are you are saved for service. You're, you you get you get in for free. But now it's like you know what are you going to have to talk about when you get to heaven? And and there's a whole you know, there's a whole list of scriptures about about the rewards that you'll receive for heaven in heaven for for person that follow what Bruce Wilkinson writes about in in a life God rewards and and uh, uh, I I think a lot of I think a lot of us Christians you know we go to church and we get blessed and we move on and we and we do whatever we do during the week and then we go on. I mean, and it's like we're not the only connection we have to to service is is maybe ushering or something on on Sunday and. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to get out of our comfort zone. It's painful for us and something that requires you know, a little bit of work. Uh, the Shades of Blue, the Tsunami Children's Relief Project. Sounds like an incredible book. A book of drawings by the Sri Lankan children survivors of the tsunami disaster. Are, like, that's a heart-wrencher. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I mean, the trip to Sri Lanka it started as a trip that I wanted to take. Because, you know, after, after uh, uh, the tsunami disaster on December 26th, uh, I was working with a guy named up in uh, an Operation Blessing team, and they, uh, a non-governmental organization that had already been on the ground there. And so I was interviewing those guys, and I said, "Hey, can I come over and help?" And they said, "Sure." So I went, I went home and, and called a family meeting, which we normally do. And uh, we, I asked the family if I could go, and by the end of the conversation. They were all going, um, and that's that's what my family's all about. I mean, Kev at 23 will do, will go and do anything you know that's challenging. Uh, Prima is has had great experiences, even at 10 years old, um, and uh, Connie was probably the only one that was you know way out of her comfort zone, and she was ready to go. So we all ended up over there, and we were just you know handing out medical supplies and uh, handing out food and just doing what anybody else could have done. But the kids were the ones, and my wife that ended up. You know, dispensing so much therapy where uh, Prima and Gib were dancing with these kids and they were chasing them around. 200 kids in this relief camp, uh, which ended up being a school. And then my wife was ministering to all these, all the moms that are, who, had, who had lost children Prima's age. And then Connie got this idea that, that we should have the kids draw pictures with crayons and we went out and sent out for the crayons and the, and the artwork and the uh, art paper. Uh, and they drew their dreams, which was basically the tsunami. And so we ended up with these 200 pieces of art, incredible pieces of art, mostly you know filled with giant blue waves, and the kids were fighting over the blue crayons, and turned it into a, a book. It took us about a month, and, and we named the book Shades of Blue because, because of the blue crayon. And the, uh, if you've seen the book, the, the artwork is just compelling. And what, what, do you, what do you hope to accomplish with this, John? Well, it's it's basically their lemonade stand. You know, these these kids in Sri Lanka, uh, uh, they we told them if you create this artwork, we'll find a way to sell it, and we'll bring the money back into your community. And so, um, that's what it's what it's what it's doing is I'm, I'm promoting it on my radio show. We're promoting it on your show, and just saying that when you go to Tesh.com and you buy a book or five books or ten books, um, and even resell them, you end up you know with every thousand two thousand dollars, you end up buying a new fishing boat. For uh, for these communities, so um, instead of putting it in stores, we've been doing it online and been, and been doing it, you know, hand to hand in in churches and and in the fall, uh, five thousand elementary schools in North America are going to join hands and the kids are going to sell these books uh, uh, that uh, that the kids in in Sri Lanka created. 
so uh, it's, it, you know, one of the things, we stay in contact with them every week, and one of the things we, we have found is that the rebuilding has just begun, but uh, they still need uh, not only uh, boats and, and school supplies and school uniforms, but they also need therapy. There's not one therapist in the Ampara district of Sri Lanka, and as you might imagine, these kids every night have the same nightmare, and that is that the wave is going to land on them and drown them. Well, how do you... How do you leave something like that? I mean, you are there's a certain sense of helplessness, and I guess you can do your part, but does that not continually ache in your heart from what you've seen? It does, and that's what, that's the reason why we found a way to stay connected. And this book has uh, we call this book the triple blessing. It's the first blessing is you know is you selling it to somebody. The second blessing is that person buying it and having it in their house. And the third part of it is the money going back to to Sri Lanka, and so we, we, we figured that this would be our ticket to stay connected to these guys, and it wouldn't be just us going over there and making phone calls back to the States and reporting what was going on. Uh, I, I also think that the tsunami has, has opened up people's hearts for other things. And, uh, you know, I mean, people are like, you know, what's, what is the, what's the sense of this wave? You know, what is, well, the wave really ended up opening up people's eyes to the, the to the daily tsunami that is the AIDS epidemic and the and the starvation epidemic in Africa, for example. So a lot a lot of people have, have started living with what I call living outside of themselves and and starting to serve in other areas, realizing that hey if the if Bono or, or Brad Pitt or the Tesh family or Ashley Judd or any of these people that you know from television and radio if they're out there doing this stuff, uh, then maybe I should I should get involved. And you know, it's different than the Thanksgiving dinner uh, photo op. You know, when you when you get down and dirty and you end up starting to do the work, it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know, it it really is. But there's nothing more rewarding. Well, okay. So what can we do? I mean, we go to your website, we buy the book. Is that as simple as as that, or? Yeah, I mean, I it, well, or it, actually, even better is you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are who are uh, connected to schools and churches and businesses where people could actually sell these books hand-to-hand. So, yeah, you could buy them online. Uh, you could email us and tell us how you can get your school involved. Um, you know, if you buy 10 books online, that's you know, 20 bucks a piece, and, and you know, 100% of that goes to the kids in, and the families in Ampara. And then you could sell those again and, and send that money in. So it really is their lemonade stand with the regeneration of the, uh, of the lemonade. And, and it's, I mean, we're sending, you know, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a month now to, uh, to there, which is really, a, a, you know, it's a very good start. That is brilliant. All right, so uh, everyone needs to know your website, which is tesh dot com. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Tesh dot com. There's no C. It's just t e s h dot com. Yeah, t e s h dot com. Uh, and, and a very well done website. You can buy uh, uh, your CDs on there as well. Correct. Yeah, we. I mean, a lot of the site is devoted to our, our radio program, um, but uh, yeah, you can you can shop there too. You can you know download videos, any anything you want. It's it's like everybody's got their own TV show now, right? It's like that's what that's what the web is. Yeah, your your radio program, uh, intelligence. I, you know, I've never heard a radio program actually use the word intelligence when it describes it. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes it's loosely described, but. We have uh, we have seven full-time writers, researchers, and all they do is they just, it's like a CIA project. They just read magazines and newsletters and surf websites all day. That's all they do. And they find all the information people need to live life better and uh, those tools. And then uh, I whisper in your ear. And that's, uh, it, it's, it's the fastest growing um, independently syndicated radio program in the world right now because we found a niche that nobody had filled, and that is that we don't have any time anymore. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have time to do anything anymore. So it was designed for my wife, Connie, who is a, who is, is an actress and a businesswoman, full-time mother and wife, and she has a stack of magazines and newsletters uh, right by her desk and never gets a chance to read them. So, you know, it's, that the show is designed for her. Excellent, excellent. Similar uh, thinking, I think we have. Except I, I don't, I'm not allowed to use the word intelligence with my radio program. That's for sure. <laughs> well, like I said, we use it loosely. Well, that's good. Listen, John Tesh, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. Uh, I wish you the best. When you come to my mind, when God brings you to mind, I will certainly uh, pray that God has His hand on your life because you have a, the ability and the capacity and the gifting to touch lives in a way that I never can. Yeah, so good on you, and uh, it's great serving the king together. I, I don't want to sound like a cheesy bumper sticker that you buy at a Christian bookstore, but it, it really is a, a good thing to be able to do this together. So thanks. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate tell you, you know, that there there are parts of this interview where I was more honest than I've ever heard anybody because you you ask really good questions. I've never talked about my my first failed marriage, um, and I've never talked about a lot of this from my heart, and so it was really, really good therapy for me. And I, it's funny you mentioned the bumper sticker thing. I saw a great bumper sticker the other day, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen it before. But I pulled up to one of these hardware stores, and I was like, you know, I was like, I had to go in and get some nails or something. You know, I was like all, you know, I was all hot and bothered and, and irritated. And I, I look up, and the bumper sticker in front of me says, "Jesus is coming. Look busy." <laughs> oh, was that a put up? That was put up by the Southern Baptist, was it? <laughs> Probably. <Yeah. laughs> Something I don't know, but it was. I just thought that's great. I, I walked. I, I I walked out of the uh, the car. I looked very busy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As we can, as we can. Well, John Tesh uh, again from the Drew Marshall Show. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. And it's my pleasure, and, and good good on you too. <laughs> yeah, that's my leftover. That's my leftover Australian uh, stuff. Five years in Australia messed my head up, man. So uh, anyway, um, hey, is there a way to download your shows? Are they are they available as MP3s anywhere? Yes, they are. They're all on my website. Oh, awesome. What's the website? DrewMarshall.ca. .ca, okay. Listen, uh, thanks for your time, man. I, I don't know, again, I don't know how you do it. How, how can you be a good dad and a good husband and burn these kind of hours? Um, I, I just figured that I don't have much time left on Earth, so I'm just going <laughs> to keep moving, you know. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. Bye-bye.